Let's go ahead and start tonight. Again, I, I've been trying to prepare myself ahead, so it's, it's a good bad thing because in my mind, I'm not in 15. I'm like in 17 because I'm trying to work ahead. So I'll try not to get there tonight. I will try to focus on chapter 15. Chapter 15 is a short chapter, only eight verses. And as we've been talking about, really, we're in, entering into the final days. And really, the, the title of the lesson tonight is Preparing for the End. Entering into the final days where we're going to see the, the vials or the bowl judgments poured out. We've already seen the seal judgments. We've already seen the trumpet judgments. And I think I may have it in your notes. Do I have that? I, I, I actually might not. I didn't put it in your notes today. Um, I'll, I'll put it in there next week. So I have a table in my notes of the, of the differences between the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments, and the similarities as well. So I forgot to put that in there today. I'll put that in there for next week for sure. But everything we've been seeing is leading up to the end, the very end times. And really, as I said, you know, with each passing judgment, it's like the end is near, the end is near, and the end is here. That's kind of what we're seeing here as we get to Revelation chapter 15. So let's look at it again. The Bible says, And I saw, again, this is John, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, these final plagues upon the earth. And a lot of what we have talked about, really you can reference back to Old Testament uh, times and some of the, the judgments that God had poured down in the Old Testament are kind of coming to fruition here in the, in the end. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image. We had talked about the beast from the sea, the beast from the land. We talked about the Antichrist, the false prophet, that great dragon, the pseudo-trinity. And again, even though it looks like things are going to be bad, his time of terror is just very short. It's limited, and we have to understand that. And everything that happens is under, really, God's supervision, that God allows these things to happen. But it's a very short time, and as we see in verse number 2, finally that time is over. Um, those that got victory over the beast, over his image, over the mark, which we had talked about a couple chapters ago, and over the number of the name uh, that stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name. For thou art holy, uh, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open. And the seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials or bowls full of wrath. We talked a little bit about the wrath of God last week. Who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no, no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of God or still the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Now, quickly, just quick introduction. You know, one of the themes in Revelation chapter 14 through 16 is a word that we see over and over. And it's a word that's used 11 times. And it's the word voice. It's very important to understand that. John hears a voice coming from heaven. This is the voice of God. In the events recorded, God speaks to his people or to a lost world or to his, to his creatures. 
And they speak out in praise of the Lord or in warning to the world. And as the world moves into the last half of the tribulation, heaven is not silent. And that's the, that's the awesome thing that we see here. And what we learn is that even in the middle of God's wrath, we still see his grace on full display. I was starting to work ahead, as I said earlier, and working at chapter 17, which it's, it's an amazing study, chapter 17 and 18. You know, Babylon has fallen, the, the great whores it talks about in 17 and 18. But the thing is, in chapter 15 and 16, there's so many things that we see that the end is coming, the end is near. And, and the thing that stands out, there's several things, but one thing in, in particular is that even with all the judgments, God still shows grace and mercy. We talked about his mercy being more tonight to a world because he wants them to repent. He wants them to turn from their wickedness. But what you see is that they don't. They harden their heart even more. And it saddens me, and it should sadden us as a church today and, and those that are Christians, as we'll look at in chapter 16, that there's going to come a time where God even stops saying that they had an opportunity to repent, and they didn't repent. But he gives every opportunity to come back to him, and yet they choose yet again to continue in their sin. And really, there's so many applications we can make, but I think the application for us tonight as a church is that when God gives you the opportunity to repent of your sins, you should take it and repent and turn from your rebelliousness and live for God because we don't know how long our life is. And as we come to chapter 15, really, we kind of finally see the light at the end of the tunnel because this world is getting worse and worse, is it not? All of the wickedness that is going on in our world. And again, for, for centuries, Christians have been praying and begging out to God, God, please hear our prayers and vindicate us and, and all the evil and wickedness that has fallen upon mankind and upon Christians and upon the church. Finally, God is saying, hey, enough is enough and I am going to vindicate and avenge all of the, the, the evil that has taken place in the world. And it's if the Lord is telling us in chapter 15, before we really get to 16, which is the, the pouring out of those seven final vials and bold judgments, he's basically saying, hey, brace yourself, because I'm not finished yet. And in these eight verses, here's what we see. We see that God, God is still working. And there's a couple things that I want us to celebrate tonight in chapter 15. The first thing is this. We must celebrate God's ultimate victory. Because God alone is victorious. We've sang songs like that in our church before. And other churches sing songs like that as well. But the, the point is that even though it seems like there isn't victory because evil is running rampant and, and it, it is supreme in our world, God is and has always been victorious. And this just proves the fact that he will be victorious in the end. And the amazing thing is, you know, we, we know the end before it even happens. Amen. But verse 1, And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. But then you go to, to verse number 2, And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, even though he had a reign of terror, they got victory over him, and God will get victory over him. And what we see in these first four verses is that God's ultimate victory should be celebrated and really, this is just another reminder, as I've talked about so many times in this series, that God is sovereign, which means that he is in control. God is in control of everything. And it's, it's difficult sometimes for us to understand that when we look at the world around us, right? When we look at the evil and we wonder, God, what are you doing? 
We've been talking about that in Habakkuk series on Sunday morning. God, when is this injustice ever going to end? And God's saying, hey, just be patient. Just wait. In verse number one, here's what we learn. That God's wrath will one day be finished. God's wrath will one day be finished. Again, John sees this sign from heaven. This sign is both great and awe-inspiring. He sees seven angels holding the seven bowls of God's wrath. You know, I was thinking about this, and I know it's not going to happen, but hopefully there's not one of those clumsy angels that accidentally, like, drops the bowl. (laughs) I mean, I could see Julie doing that. Like, oh, exactly. Like, yeah, it's a good thing God didn't make you an angel, like, over the seven vials. Like, here you go, Julie, you're in charge of it. No, not. It wasn't time yet. Anyway, sorry. That's where my imagination goes a lot of times. Uh, (laughs) But a lot of judgments that we see point back to the Old Testament, as I mentioned earlier. But these judgments are about to reach their climax. And these final seven are really, they're in a category all their own. They represent God's final response to a world's unrepentant wickedness. Robert Mounts notes, he says, These are the last of the plagues in that they complete the warnings of God to an infinite world. And that remain, all that remains is final judgment in and of itself. And the lesson that we learn here is that whenever we fail to repent and turn to God, we can be sure that God will judge those that fail to turn to Him. You see, without God, what happens is we spiral towards our own destruction, our own demise. And that's what's happening in our world around us because the world has... Really, even in America, we are becoming a post-Christian society, honestly. We are getting away from God, getting away from the truth of His Word, getting away from the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are doing whatever we want to do. It's clear in our government, but it's clear in our churches. And without God, we can't truly enjoy peace. People want peace all the time, but we can't truly enjoy peace without God. Without God is the rightful place in our heart, in our life. The second thing we see as we continue on, verses 2 through 4, is this. The nations will worship. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. Now, before judgment falls, all the redeemed appear before, beside this sea of glass mixed with fire to sing a victory song. And this sea of glass was mentioned first back in Revelation chapter 4, verse 6. And it describes God's holiness and purity and separation from His creation. In verse number 3, we see that they sing a new song. This is a song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Now this song of Moses is an important song in the hymnal of the Jewish people. They praise God for all that he has done. And this whole scene here is very reminiscent of the children of Israel leaving Exodus. And the song that they sang, leaving, or leaving Egypt and leaving the bondage and finally going into freedom eventually, what would happen. But there's something important to understand. These people are praising God, listen, for allowing them to endure the suffering that they endured. And just let that sink in for a minute. Because verse 2 tells us that these are the ones that got victory over the beast. They had to suffer a lot, as we've talked about the past couple weeks. And yet, they're singing, praising God, thanking God that they were able to suffer. And I'm not saying that you know, we should just ask suffering to come our way, but there are many of us that we can't even praise God with just a little bit of suffering, let alone the immense suffering that's going to happen in the tribulation. 
And yet they are praising God because they knew it was just for a season and they knew that heaven is better. The new Jerusalem that's going to follow is so much better. Living with God is better. And, and many of those people didn't defile themselves. They didn't, they didn't give in when temptation struck, as many of us do sometimes. They kept faithful. They remained faithful to God. And again, they are praising God for allowing them to endure. And it's, it's just an astounding thing when I think about it. How many of us do that? How many of us truly praise God to suffer? Why we suffer? Because of suffering. Most of us don't, to be honest. Jenna does, and I'm thankful for that. It's good. Who shall not fear thee, verse number four, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. The question is, who shall fear thee? Who shall glorify thy name? It's almost a rhetorical question, isn't it? Because we know that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that what? Jesus Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. God's righteous acts have been revealed to mankind, and that's what we're talking about here, that the nations will worship. You know, this also reminds us that God's many works throughout history, God has accomplished so much in each of our lives. And it's very important that I think we actively recount his many acts. And when you think about this, this is just a powerful song of praise to God. As it said already in verse number three, we, we looked at it, but you know, the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true thy, thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? Really, I mean, that's a, that's a great rhetorical question. You know, why aren't we fearing God more? Why aren't we glorifying his name more? For thou art holy. All nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. A couple questions before we move on. What, you don't have to answer this out loud. I don't want you to, but what song do you sing to God? What is your, what is your, what is your praise song? What is your go-to song of praise? What song do you sing to God the most? And I'm not even necessarily talking about a specific song, but are you, are you continuously in the habit of praising God for His goodness, for His grace, for His mercy, for His compassion, for His love, for all of those attributes of God? You see, when we see glimpses into heaven throughout our Bible, what we see there is this. Listen to this. When we see a glimpse into heaven in our Bible, we see that there is a very high view of God. Again, let that sink in. When you look in scriptures and see a glimpse into heaven, as we see in your Revelation, we see a very high view of God. So, since there's such a high view of God in heaven, shouldn't there be a high view of God on earth and in our churches? But is our view of God high? Do we view him as the high, the holy, righteous God? Or do we often, our song is a song of complaint <laughs> because of our suffering, because of all the things that we don't like. Just think about that. Second thing we see is we really close out this chapter, the short chapter, really all just preparation for chapter 16 and more. But we, we must celebrate God's final judgments. Celebrate God's final judgments. 
The procession of the seven angels out of the holy temple of heaven indicates that the judgments are about to come out of God's presence. And in the Old Testament, the temple was where God's presence dwelled on this earth. Verse number five, And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, having their breasts girded with seven or with golden girdles. And what we see here in verses 5 through 8 is this, that God's glory and power will be displayed worship. God's glory and power will be displayed worship. This is talking about stepping out of the most holy place and coming directly from the presence of God. And this phrase, after that I looked, where John is talking about, indicates a transition into a new vision and a new subject, which is the bold judgments or the vile judgments. John saw the heavenly temple opened. And although this is debated, the Bible seems to indicate by this passage and others that this is a literal temple in heaven. Verse 6, it says, And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. Really, they give us the appearance of holy priests. They're clothed in pure and white linen. This signifies that they are on the Lord's side. There's no mistaking which team they're on. Their, their colors are proven whose side that they are on. The, the gold of their breasts show that they have been in God's presence. In verse number 7, they are handed these seven vials, these seven bowls of judgments. And again, I can almost imagine this amazing scene. Just ima- try to imagine if you can. For centuries... Heaven has been waiting for this moment because they know that Jesus is about to return and he is about to come and reclaim what is rightfully his, which is the earth. And we talked about really, I believe Revelation is that the title deed to the earth that we looked at that John uh, was talking about in the early chapters. And just imagine this scene as the angels come out of the presence of God. These are powerful figures. There's no joking. There's no cutting up. And I, and I like to have a good time. I really do. I, I like to have a good time at church, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I think sometimes maybe we can go too far into that. Too far into the, the cutting up aspect and not enough of just the all the reverence, the worship of God. Understanding where we are, that, that it, it is, it, it's not a joking matter to understand who God is. And as they step out, they're giving these, these seven bowls, and they're ready to now pour out God's final wrath. Everything that we've talked about up until this point, and everything we've talked about, God has still given opportunity to repent, to repent, to repent. But this time, again, mankind refuses. You know, it's like we've, we've heard before, but you know, those who fail to learn from the mistakes of the past are doomed to repeat them. We've seen this throughout history. You know, after all the mercy that God has bestowed upon His creation, He finally must judge. No more tolerating sin. Sin must be punished. No more allowing wickedness to reign. No more allowing Satan to have a stronghold in the world. And as these vials are given to the angels to pour out on all the inhabitants of the earth, those that refused Christ and followed the beast and the dragon. And verse 7 indicates the important phrase, who lives forever and ever. Look, Look what it says at the very end. It was given from God who liveth forever and ever. This ascribes to the eternality of God. It's a solemn reminder that God 
is the eternal one. And that's hard to even fathom. It really is. That God has always been, always will be. Never had a beginning. Every time I think about it, my head hurts. <laughs> because you can't. You can't put it into imagination. How has God always been? What was he doing before the world began? Well, you can ask him when he gets to heaven one day. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe this is the third time. I, I don't know. Uh, but he's always been. He's always been. And it just speaks of his eternality. It's a solemn reminder of who he is. And while God's wrath against the earth will only last for a season, God lives forever. And that's where we have to take hope. In verse number 8, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Immediately the temple was filled with smoke and God's glory and power was on display. Now John tells us a couple things, and I want to read just to, to get it here. John tells us that the smoke proceeds from two sources. First, the glory of God. The word glory refers to God's divine essence, His righteousness, His justice. Together they form the holiness of God. Second, the smoke proceeds from His power. The word power refers to God's inherent and sovereign capacity to execute and carry out the demands of His holy character. And this imagery is very familiar to students of the Old Testament. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he passed through the divided pieces of the sacrifice and the smoking fire pot and burning torch in Genesis 15. When Moses received God's law on Mount Sinai, God revealed his holiness with fire and smoke. After Israel placed the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, God's presence was symbolized with smoke and fire in Exodus 40. In Solomon's temple, the glory of the Lord filled the holy place in the form of a cloud in 1 Kings 8. And this is an ongoing reminder of God's holiness. Smoke, was from, God, or smoke from God's glory made entering into the temple impossible until his seething indignation was poured out. And this is a great sign to the ungodly people of the earth who choose to shun the worship of a holy God and follow the beast. And again, there's so much more we can talk about, but you think about it, even as it says, and the temple was filled with the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple. Like there's going to be a time, but the time is not now. Judgment must come, and then we can enter in until the seven plagues and the seven angels were fulfilled. And really what we see here, and really this, this is not complete. This lesson is really very one small part because really chapter 15 and 16, they have to go hand in hand. But we'd be here for a lot longer if, if we went 15 all the way into 16 tonight. But stay tuned because chapter 16 next week as we, as we look at these seven vials, these seven final plagues upon the earth, they're intense to say the least. And it comes to the point where God has said, enough is enough, that I must judge. And what we see is that God is directing history to the point where his glory, his majesty will be on full display. And that's what we see here, that his glory, his majesty is on full display. And the earth is going to quake at God's power, as we'll see in chapter 16. And again, there's so much in my mind in this study so far, but... It just breaks my heart thinking of all the people that see evidently that, that this is God and yet they still choose to refuse. 
they still choose to not repent, to not turn from their wickedness. Now that day is coming, but here we, here we have to understand that day is not here yet. So until that day gets here, you know what, church? We still have a job to do. As I've said, every week for the past many years, we still have a job to do. We've been really focusing on the gospel for the past year or so in our church, having gospel-centeredness. And, you know, we've got that, that sign out there, with the, which, are, which is our new, you know, vision statement for the church, why we exist, to reach people with the radical power of the gospel. That's what we want. The gospel is the only thing that can truly transform someone, can truly change an individual. And, yes, there's going to be people that we talk to that are going to refuse it. They're going to fail to repent. They're going to fail to turn from their wickedness. But we are not the judge of those individuals. We can't say, you know what, they're probably not going to you know, accept it anyway, so I'm not even going to tell them. We have to do our best. We have to do our best to continue to pour out the gospel, to continue to share the gospel with everyone that we see. Because there is coming a day <laughs> that God is going to judge. And look, no matter how much you hate an individual, you shouldn't wish, wish this on anyone. And, that, and that's what, again, I try to draw every, every closing lesson with this to understand the importance of living on mission, the importance of living out the gospel. And I want to encourage you, as we continue on, because it's, 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 it's coming to a, to, a, to a full head of steam here in the next couple chapters. And I, even in verse number one, I'm not going to get there, but and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways. And pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Go ahead. Distribute the final judgment. The time has come. Again, we're not there, but we have to understand that that time is coming short. We don't know how long we have. And, and the point I want to make with, as long as I have breath, really, and this is what I was talking to Brother Napper about today. You know, I was asking him, he, he wants me to preach over there and teach in their Bible school, which I'm, I'm, I'm honored and I'm, I'm excited about that opportunity, but you know, I asked him, I said, you know, what are some things that, you know, the Africans over there that they, they, they need to hear? And he basically told me the same thing that we need to hear. <laughs> they need to continue to evangelize, continue to, to live on mission, continue to do what they're supposed to do, because it's very easy to get discouraged, isn't it? It's very easy to look around at the turmoil, the, the, the struggles that we have in our life that are going on around us and say, you know what? There's no hope. But as a Christian, we have a living hope. Who is Jesus Christ? So until that day, again, live on mission the way that God wants you to live and do what God wants you to do. Live out the gospel. You know, that's what I see over and over throughout this study. That the gospel is on full display. As I said earlier on in this series, it's very easy to, to look at Revelation and be overwhelmed. We're not trying to go so deep that it just like, we're, we're, we're grasping at straws here. I'm trying to just help us understand that the reason it's written is to give us hope. Because we know what to expect, and we know as a Christian we're not going to have to endure that, but it's up to us to try to warn as many people as possible so that they don't have to go through that. So again, I feel like I'm just rambling right now, but just live on mission. Live the life that God has given you to live, and stay tuned. Next week, it's about to get very, oh, it's already been good, but, you know, it's about to get very, very, very good, very deep, all of that kind of stuff. All right, let me pray.